open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 3. We're going to read verses 3 through 11 this morning. 1 John chapter 2 verses 3 through 11. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made perfect, made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. Let's pray. Gracious Father, Lord, we're thankful for today. We're thankful for the opportunity to gather around your word and commit our lives to practicing the truth that we find in Scripture. So, Father, I pray that we'd be obedient today. I pray that we'd conform to your word, uh, that we would love one another. And, uh, Father, that we would love your word and put it into practice. Thank, we're thankful today for Jesus, for his sacrifice on the cross for our sins. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, have you ever been around someone that love to name drop? Okay, and uh, so you're in a conversation with them, and they, maybe they've got some important friends or whatever, and so they just have a tendency to drop those names in there, you know, well, speaking with the governor this morning or whatever, you know. I've always wanted to say, I don't mean to drop names, but I was speaking with Jesus this morning. Um, but anyway, a little bit of a dad joke there this morning. Uh, but anyway, uh, we tend to name drop. Why would we do that? Why would we want to name drop? We would name drop uh, to give ourselves a sense of importance, uh, a sense of significance, and that's why people would drop names. I think we sometimes have a tendency to do the same thing in our relationship with God. We present ourselves as people who are close, who are intimate with God. And John is addressing a situation in this church where there's a group they claim to have the special knowledge of God, the special intimacy with God. Now, we, if you remember from week one, uh, there's this group that uh, they, they were once part of them. They, they were close. Uh, they were part of the family of churches, but they departed from them. And the reason they departed is because of some of the things that they were claiming, uh, which were that Jesus did not come in the flesh, they said, uh, that Jesus uh, was not really uh, the Son of God, and uh, their, their practice towards others was unloving. And so this group, it says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, departed from their midst. And they were, if you remember from last week, making assertions. They, they were making some of these claims. Look back at chapter 1, verse 6. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. And then again in verse 
8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And then finally in chapter 1, verse 10, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. So he's addressing these uh, assertions, these claims uh, that some were making in that day, uh, claiming to know God they actually did not know God. Now, sometimes we think that we have an intimacy with God based upon some of our experiences, okay? So, uh, for example, if you go on a mission trip or uh, based upon your beliefs, if you think they're accurate, you think that that somehow makes you uh, closer to God simply by uh, the the accuracy of of some of your beliefs or your theological knowledge. Some of us, we feel close to God simply because we know a lot about God. And I think that's a real temptation here in the Bible Belt where it's more likely than not that people would go to church and so on. So we, if you're like me, you grew up going to church. So you know a lot of scripture, you know a lot about God, but just knowing about God, knowing doctrine does not necessarily mean that you are in an intimate relationship with God. So John is cutting through all of this and he's wanting to give us evidence today of life, test of life uh, that is evidence that we live in the light. So today, look at three evidences of knowing God, three evidences of knowing God. So if you walk in today, I'm going to imagine that most people who walk in, as we said last week, everybody claims they know God, everybody thinks they're going to the good place, not the bad place. We've had a, a spiritual experience at some point in our lives, and so we've convinced ourselves that we know God, okay, and that we're uh, going to go to heaven when we die. But John is, 1 John is written in part to give us an assurance of salvation so that we can actually look at what he says, we can reflect upon our lives and see if our life is living in conformity to what John is talking about. So, three evidences that, um, that we know God. First, obedience. Conformity to the commands of God. Obedience, conformity to the commands of God. Notice what he says in chapter 2, verse 3. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Um, We're saved by grace and through faith. And yet, for John, if you actually know God, then we'll find out because we can look at your life. You can look at your life and you can see if... You're living in obedience to his commands. He goes on, he says, Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. So very strong words for uh, the person who would say, I know God, when in fact their life does not reflect obedience to the word. He says again in verse 5, But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. So as Protestants, we like to put a lot of emphasis on faith, on grace, and on uh, those components of our salvation, and rightly so. The Bible spends a lot of time talking about faith. The Bible spends a lot of time talking about grace. But the Bible also spends a lot of time talking about obedience, And as we talked about last week, it's a cheap grace uh, where you receive God's grace, his love, and then you remain unchanged. If you receive God's grace, you are transformed. 
And so he's dealing with uh, what some scholars would call Gnosticism, even though they think it was an early form of it, where uh, certain people felt like they had a secret knowledge of God. They've got insider knowledge of God, and somehow this knowledge makes them close to God, and they say, we know God, but their life did not reflect that truth. Their lives did not reflect that reality. In fact, according to John, if you claim to know God and you're not obedient to God's commands, he calls you a liar. And I do think that uh, there's a tendency here to deceive ourselves or we don't even know uh, that this is the reality. Go, go over a little bit to James, James chapter 1, verse 22. James chapter 1, verse 22. And listen to what James says. He says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So it comes down to something very simple. We're reading God's word. We hear certain things that God tells us to do, like love our enemies, <clears throat> pray for those who persecute you or those who are unkind to you. We read those things, and uh, the simple fact of the matter is you put those things into practice. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do it. And so, again, I think the temptation here with us, we're gathered in a room, we're all listening to the Word. We're listening to the Word. So what, what our habit is on Sunday, we gather, we listen to the Word. But don't think that just because you're listening to the Word, just because you're nodding your head, just because you throw out an amen or anything like that, that that equates to intimacy with God. Intimacy with God is reflected in the fact that your life conforms. You are constantly reorienting your life in accordance with God's Word. So the Bible is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So if you're reading God's Word correctly, you are being corrected. A lot of us, we claim to believe in the inerrancy of Scripture when in fact what we mean by that a lot of times is the inerrancy of our own theology and our own beliefs. And the way we know that is because our beliefs never change. We just continue to read the Word. We continue to believe the same things. We continue to do the same things rather than recalibrating our lives, realigning our lives in accordance with God's Word. So last week, we kinda, I asked you to kind of make a list, uh, to, to look at yourself in the mirror basically and look at certain things that you think in your life that you're doing that you shouldn't be doing or things that you're not doing that you ought to be doing Kind of make a list, begin to look at those, and begin to make changes in your life. How's that going for you over the past week? I think that's a, a fair question. How's that going? When we read Scripture, when it enlightens us to certain things in our life, maybe a mindset, maybe things that we say, or maybe things that we do that do not reflect the righteousness of Christ, how serious are you in making the changes that need to be made so that you live in obedience to God's Word? Um, number two, number two, Christ-likeness, conformity to the Son of God. Christ-likeness, conformity to the Son of God. Back over in 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, it says, Whoever claims to live in him 
must live as Jesus lived. If you claim to be in God, you must live as Jesus lived. So this is the goal of obedience. You're not just obeying the law for obedience sake. You're not just conforming to the law just for the sake of it. You're doing so in order to become more and more like Christ. We obey the commands of God to reflect the heart of Christ. So Jesus is sometimes referred to as the son of man. Have you ever spent any time really thinking about what that means, the son of man? It's a prophetic term, but uh, in some translations it actually translates that as the human one. It means that Jesus is the embodiment of, of the, the perfect picture of what it means to be human. He was truly God, and yet he's truly human. He is reflecting for us in his life what good humanity ought to look like. He's the perfect example of being human. So um, you say, well, what's the difference really between following God's commands and, uh, and conforming to God's word and conforming to Christ? Isn't that the same thing? Uh, we all know that sometimes you can say to do something and a person does that thing and yet they didn't really do it in the spirit in which you asked them to do it, okay? So let's uh, not necessarily get silly here for a minute, but let's just imagine a situation where God said, draw a horse, okay? Draw a horse. So we're talking about draw a horse. Well, first of all, I'd be terrified because I can't draw, okay? So if my salvation depended upon that, then I'm in big trouble. Uh, but a lot of us, if, if God told us to draw a horse, it looked something kind of like this, uh, okay? Uh, we'd start off good, okay? This looks like a lot of my papers in high school. The, the opening paragraph, the opening point were great. And then as time went on, it's like you procrastinate, and then it's like you've got a day, and so then you just kind of finish off the paper, okay? And a lot of us, this is what our obedience looks like, okay? It's, it's like we've been commanded to do something, and so maybe we start off with good intentions, we start off feeling pretty good, but over time uh, we begin to slip and we begin to kind of dial back and not uh, really give it our full effort. Jesus is the perfect picture of what it means to follow God's command. So if God said to draw a horse, Jesus draws it perfectly. And it's not just that we ought to draw a stick figure, we ought to do it in our own interpretive way. We do it exactly like Jesus did it. You say, well, could you give me an example? I think this, the Sabbath is a good example. So the Pharisees were wanting to follow the command, follow the command, and observe the Sabbath. Okay, so they're observing the Sabbath. But then there was a, a, a man who needed care, who needed to be healed on the Sabbath. And they got furious with Jesus because he healed on the Sabbath. Like, don't, don't you know you're, you're breaking the Sabbath, basically? And Jesus... Brings out the point, okay, so if your donkey falls in a ditch, are you going to get it out on the Sabbath? Of course you are. You're going to do that. But here's a man who needs healing, who needs care, and you're upset because I healed him on the Sabbath. And this goes back to the, the point of the law is not just for you to follow rules. The point for us today is that as we conform to the commands of God, we do so in such a way that we reflect Christ. As we read earlier, he is the image of the invisible God. Okay, and so in Romans 8, 29, you are predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son, to the image of Christ. So as you go through your day, you're trying to follow God's word, you're trying to conform your life to God's word, but in such a way that you reflect the heart of Christ. 
Turn over with me, if you would, to the Gospel of John, chapter 14. Draw a couple of these points together. John, chapter 14, verse 15. John, chapter 14, verse 15. Notice what Jesus says. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. By the way, that's the same exact word used for Jesus in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you before long. The world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father and I too will love them and show myself to them." So these are the words of Jesus. It's not John. These are right off the words of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ himself. And he says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. So we have a lot of ideas of what it might look like to be in an intimate relationship with God or to love God or to love Jesus. Uh, but the truth of the matter is that if you do, that means that you're going, as Jesus himself said, you're going to keep his Command. So you're going to take seriously when Jesus tells you to do something to put that into practice in your life, not just uh, to feel good because you know about the command, not just to feel good because you have a good idea of the theological underpinnings behind that command, but you actually do it. And this is why a lot of times uh, I've seen in the course of my life, I've, I've been in Bible school, seminary, I've been around a lot of uh, smart folks, and, uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they are godly or that they have a close relationship with God. And I've, I've been around uh, salt-of-the-earth people in the course of my ministry, and they, they have been some of the most faithful, diligent students of God and disciples of Christ that you'll meet anywhere. So just because you know a lot does not equate to intimacy with God. You have to live it out. You have to practice it. But skip over uh, to John chapter 15, verse 5. So that John 14 underlines the point of uh, obedience conforming to the commands of God. In John 15, he underlines the idea of Christ's likeness and abiding in Christ. John chapter 15, verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers... Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory. And listen to this, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. How do we know that we're disciples of Christ? You will bear much fruit. How are you going to bear much fruit? By abiding or remaining in Christ, which means that you're abiding in his word. You're conforming to his word. Now skip back over to 1 John because he says one of the more confusing things in the entire letter. And this is where we're reading scripture and they, the apostle says something. We're like, what are you talking about? 
Because he says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 7, Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you, have, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet, I am writing you a new command. And its truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. John, what are you talking about? Are you writing a new command or not? Uh, because he says, I'm not writing you a new command. And then he turns right back around and he says, I am writing you a new command. On the one hand, it's an old command because the command to love God, to love your neighbor, uh, to follow these commands has always been there. All the way back from the very beginning of Scripture, obviously we're called to obedience. We're called to love God. We're called to love others. In uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, we hear the Shema. Hear, o Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And over again in Leviticus chapter 19, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So this is the message we heard from the beginning. This is an old message. It's a message, of course, that Jesus reemphasized. You say, okay, well, how, it's, how is it new? It's new in the fact that for uh, long ages it was a mystery exactly how all of this played out. But now in Christ we can see exactly what it looks like to love God and to love others. So much so that Jesus is our advocate. He is our atoning sacrifice on the cross in order to bring us to God. And so if you're uh, going to be one who claims to be in God, that means you're going to look like Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, the uh, apostle Peter calls us to follow in his steps. He says in chapter 2, verse 21, he says, To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer, of your soul. He's writing this to help people understand, especially those who are being hurt and abused in the context of their Christian faith, to look to Jesus to see how he endured, to see how he reacted, and his example. In, uh, when I graduated, I've told you the story before, I'll tell a little, from a little bit different angle, but when I was in high school, uh, graduated from high school, went on a mission trip to Seattle, Washington. And God did a, an amazing work in my life that week. But um, by the end of the week, I was just, I was on fire for the Lord, and uh, we kind of had one of those last sessions before we um, slept and then woke up the next day and went home. And uh, so the, the youth group is gathered, and you need to understand something about early Jared, back in my early days. I was scared to death uh, to speak publicly. Public speaking, I just had a phobia, Didn't, did not want to speak publicly, but uh, we're gathered there, and he said, you know, the speaker was preaching, and all of a sudden, in the middle of his message, he said, I just feel like someone has a word that they need to share with us today, and at this point, I'm just going to open the floor so that you can stand up and share what you, need to, what you need to say, and without really thinking, I stood up, and I started speaking. It's one of those outer body experiences where I began to 
Jared, what are you doing? You don't do this. Okay, but I stood up, and the first thing I said was I quoted 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, where Paul said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. This is discipleship. You follow Christ's example. That is your goal. That is your heart. That is your aim in life is to become like Christ. You're constantly reading his word. You're constantly studying the way he interacted with people, his mannerisms, everything that you can glean from scripture about Christ. You're praying to him. You're asking the spirit as your advocate to form you into his image. And you're doing so in such a way to teach others as well. This message that's been entrusted to us, you pass on to others so they might imitate that lifestyle as well. So first is obedience, conformity to the word or to the commands of God. Second is Christ-likeness, conformity to the Son of God. And third is love, conformity to the kindness of God, conformity to the kindness of of God. So look back at 1 John, 1 John chapter 2, verse 9. Again, he's dealing with anyone who claims. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. So those who obey the commands of God, those who live like Christ, are those also who love others just as Jesus loved others. And of course, love is not merely a feeling. It's concrete action for the well-being, for the welfare of someone else. You want what's best for someone else. And just like last week, we saw that Jesus is our advocate. Just like we read today, the Holy Spirit is our advocate. That means his disposition is to be for us. God, if God is for us, who can be against us? God is for us. God is for you. He, want, he has your best interest at heart. And if that's true of God and his stance towards us, shouldn't that be our stance towards one another? To where we desire and want and work for the well-being of others, the welfare of others, the best interest of others. So over in Philippians chapter 2, we're encouraged to have the mind of Christ. But notice what Paul says and how Paul says it in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. He says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. In other words, don't live for yourself. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And then he gives us this absolutely beautiful Christological hymn. Who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather he made himself nothing, 
by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the mindset of Christ, and the problem that John is addressing is not just that they have bad theology, not just that they believe that Jesus didn't come in the flesh or that he's not really the Son of God, but he's dealing with a situation where they are being unloving to one another. So you can walk in the doors of a church where their theology is sound and it's good, but their practice stinks. You can smell the stench when you walk in the door because they don't treat you in warmness and in kindness and in love. And that's not the kind of people we are called to be. We are called to have the mind of Christ. What does it say? Count others as more important than self. Not equally important, but more important than self. Consider the interest of others before your own. Now, folks, that is not natural to us, right? It's not natural to us at all. We would much prefer to seek our own interests first rather than the interest of others. And so, you know, the, of course, the simple illustration is when you see a picture, whose face do you look for first? Probably your own. We just have an alignment in our heart uh, that's off that needs to be realigned in conformity to God's word, but to where we love others in the way that Christ did, and it draws out that servant nature. Now, folks, that, that, again, that goes against the course of this world. But notice back over again in 1 John chapter 2, verse 8, it says, The darkness is passing and true light is already shining. Jesus taught us this new way, this new command. He embodied it. As we're going to see as we get to the, towards the end of 1 John, God is love. He embodied that love, that mindset, that disposition Sacrificial disposition, <laughs> shouldn't use big words too early in the morning, and that sacrificial disposition towards someone else, that should be our attitude as well. Again, darkness is passing, true light is already shining. So, uh, you know, when we talk about eschatology, a lot of times you'll see these preachers and they'll have this big chart and they've got all these, uh, you know, images and graphics uh, in the Bible um, not saying that all of that's 100% wrong, but in the Bible they had a very simple eschatology. There's this age, and then there's the age to come. Done, right? There's this age, and then there's the age to come. When Jesus came, it became a little bit more complicated in that what he said is the kingdom has drawn near. The kingdom of God has come in Christ. And so now, whereas it was this age and the age to come, now there's overlap. Because in the age to come, people raise up from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead. In the age to come, the Spirit of God will cover the earth. The Spirit of God came at Pentecost. Well, in the end, of, in the end days, um, in those latter days, uh, the temple's going to be built. Paul said, you are the temple of the living God. All of these things that were meant for the age to come have partially started to be fulfilled in Christ, which is why he says the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. What's his main point? It goes all the way back to what we said last week. 
chapter 1, verse 5. By the way, this is really all part of just one sermon uh, from last week because his main point, his main point is God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. So you can't claim that you know God while you're walking in darkness. What does darkness look like? It looks like you being unloving towards other people. Like you being unloving towards... Like, well, I don't like some people, right? I mean, how many of us, can, can I get amen this morning? That Some people are just hard to put up with, right? Amen, right? Um, don't look at that person right now if they're in the room, but... <laughs> um, especially if they're sitting close to you, but... Um, Sometimes we have a tendency to do that, to, to think that, hey, some people are hard to love, and so therefore I'm justified in not loving them. Jesus said, pray for those who persecute you, and he said, love your enemies. And you say, well, I don't want to do that. Well, there's a good indication if we have no desire to follow the command of Christ, then are you walking in the light? We can't just follow the commands we want to follow. There are some of us in this room... There are commands for all of us that are easy to follow for us. And we have a tendency to follow those commands and judge everybody else by whether or not they follow the commands that we're good at following. Can't say amen, got to say ouch at this point, right? We judge others by whether they follow our command. Well, that, that command over there, that's not as important, right? It's not as important. Why? Because you don't want to follow that command. That command is difficult for you. But the reality is we're always growing in conformity to God's word if you belong to Christ. And you're learning from other people who do good at following this command. You're learning from them. You're, being, you're rubbing shoulders with them in life groups and the fellowship of the believers. And you're getting stronger as you watch their example, as you see that they are following Christ's example. And likewise, the commands that you're good at, you're helping strengthen them. And so the way that the Bible says it, which is much, much better than the way that I just said it, over in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, listen to how the biblical author says it, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Show me someone who withdraws from the fellowship of believers, and I'll show you someone who begins to draw horses that look like what we saw earlier, okay? Like, well, I'm drawn, okay, that, that's your interpretation of a horse. But if you gather with the saints, if you gather with believers around the word, not to say that we're going to get everything right, but we are much stronger when we are together. But notice what it says, um, stir up one another or spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And so in my early childhood, one of the things that fascinated me was when we would have a fire, and we had it until we realized that I was at an early age allergic, and so then that went away. But uh, we'd have a fire in our living room, and it would begin to go down to where it was just about out. And my favorite part was my dad go over, and he'd pick up a stoke, and he'd walk over, and he'd begin to stoke. And you'd see all these sparks flying up, and all of a sudden the flames would liven back up. Folks, that's what we're supposed to be for one another. 
We are walking stoked so that when someone walks in and their fire is a little low, we walk up to them and we stir them up. We stoke them. We spur them to love and to good deeds. Whereas when they leave this place, they're stronger because they've been with the fellowship of believers. And sometimes it's sad because some churches you walk in the door and exactly the opposite happens. Whatever fire you have when you walk in, people can throw water on it. Don't be that person. Be the kind of person when someone walks in, they are stronger because they encountered you, because they came into contact with you, because you encouraged them. Barnabas was called the encourager. We should follow that example for one another. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. I want to ask you, just as you begin to reflect on what John said this morning about these claims, we claim to know God. We claim to be in him. We claim to walk in the light. I just want you to know that in that early congregation, there were those who claimed those things, but that was not true of them. John's very strong with his words. They were liars. And my question for you this morning, we might claim those same things, but is it true of you? Is it an accurate reflection of you? Gracious Father, I pray if there's someone here today who maybe they have said, I know God, but today, Lord, just as they begin to look at your word, as they begin to reflect on their, their mind, their, their words, their lifestyle, Lord, maybe this morning you've brought them under conviction. I pray, Lord, that they would trust in you. I pray, Father, they would press into that conviction so that they might know you, they might have a relationship with you. Father, thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. The altar's open. If you want to come trust in Christ today or you want to follow through in obedience uh, with baptism this morning or you want to join our church and partner with us in fulfilling the Great Commission or maybe you just need to come kneel at the altar and pray to God, whatever the case is, pray that you'll be obedient to the Lord right now as we sing.